Christian is not confused. This is the definition for sanctification. It's the progressive work of God. Progressive. Like I said earlier, it doesn't regress. It progresses. It's the progressive work of God and man. It's a collaborative effort that makes us freer from sin and like Christ in our lives. So that is our definition for sanctification as believers. It's us and God working together that we may become more like Christ. So good works help sanctify you because it makes you more like Christ. Ask yourself, do I shine like the stars or has my inaction, sorry, do I shine like the stars or has my inaction blended me into the darkness of the world? Does my life make a clear case for the risen king? Or does it create confusion for the person who sees me? Is my life a testament for the good work of God that has begun in me? Good work doesn't necessarily mean your current job. It's more than that. The good, works, the good work multiplies the fruit of the spirit in your life. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control against which there is no law. When he says it is no law, that means that it can multiply into infinity. You can never stop growing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. You will continually increase in this fruit. That's why it's a fruit of wholeness and not fruits. It's one. A good work has these qualifiers about it. It must be prepared by God. It glorifies God. It sanctifies us, and it encourages God's people and calls the lost. Notice I didn't say good works makes everybody rich. Some may obtain monetary gain from good works to be used for the kingdom. It's not a problem. As God has no respect to persons when it comes to salvation, God can save a rich person. God can save a celebrity. God can save an athlete. He can. God has no respect to persons. Look at it like I always tell people, look at Lydia. Acts 16. Most people don't look at how much money she had. They don't really get it. But she's a woman in a Greek world who sold purple cloth. And the color purple, the indigo, you had to dive into the sea to get that. This is just a little side thing. I'm going to throw it at you. You had to dive into the sea to get the actual dye. So that means she had to pay people to risk their lives and go into the ocean and get this dye. And she had stacks. And she got, she got saved. And the, and the church of Philippi was pretty much financed by Lydia. Just a little side note in Christian history that I think is very helpful for us so we won't look at people and say that only God only saves the poor. That's, that's heresy. God has no respect to persons. Amen. 
But don't, don't always expect, excuse me, don't always expect good work to make you rich. You will fall into temptation, into, sorry, you will fall into the temptation of our time that ordains people to seek monetary gain without truly doing good work. You must be willing to do good work, even if it means you are sacrificing worldly gain. Amen? Now let's look at Nehemiah for an example of good work. But here's a disclaimer. Once again, the, I don't know, the Lord just kept giving me disclaimers. Uh, so just, just deal with me, uh, bear with me for, for a little bit. The Old Testament is not just old words that we throw away because we got New Testament, okay? Like, like, like that's not a, this is Jesus' Bible, Old Testament. That's the Apostles' Bible. They use that to give us the New Testament. So the things that we learn from the New Testament, from the Old Testament is actually still relevant for us today. So I wanted to give that disclaimer because we have some people that are Jesus only and they only believe in the New Testament, and they believe that the Old Testament is worthless. You know, but I'm here to tell you as a Christian and a, and a born-again believer that Paul said, for whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the Scriptures. He was talking about the Old Testament. There was no New Testament at that time. They were just writing letters at that point in time. Just want to give you that so you can consider that because that's been something that I've seen pop up in conversation, especially in the black community, where we've tried to discredit the Old Testament. So in Nehemiah 2.11, we're given Nehemiah's account of the ruin of the wall of, Jericho, of, wall of um, Jerusalem. We saw earlier in the text that Nehemiah prayed to the Lord and requested of the king of Persia that he may go back, to, um, back home to rebuild the wall of Jer Jerusalem. We know that he did this, sorry, we know that he, um, that he succeeded in doing this. You know, we have, we have a written account and even was able to do it in 52 days. I mean, that, that's, that by itself is a, is a modern, that's a miracle. Getting that many people together in such a short amount of time to put their hands towards a good work. And they, they finished it in 52 days. So how is this a good work? How was what Nehemiah did with the wall of Jerusalem a good work? First thing, God prepared the task. He can um, so so we can see this because in sorry we can see this because it pulled Nehemiah beyond where he thought he would actually be. So think about this: Nehemiah in, in the first chapter gets a report that um, that the wall of Jerusalem was was torn down and was burned. He mourned. And prayed that, like, one of the most powerful prayers I've read. I was like, wow. That he even asked the Father, please, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant. And to that of your servants who delight to revere your name. Your servant's success today. Uh, give your servant success today. And have compassion on him in the presence of this man. This man being the king. The king of Persia. And at that time, he was the king's cupbearer. This bears a lot of uh, significance um, in this particular moment. After that, with that prayer, he was doing the second thing. He was telling God to get glory. 
Nehemiah was not asking that he would get the glory out of this. He said, Father, you get the glory. Okay? Now, this gave Nehemiah a bonus to ask the king for assistance after showing up the court with a look of displeasure. Now, we don't have this happen in corporate America, um, but in Susa, <laughs> uh, Susa is, is, is where the king's palace was for, the, uh, for Persia. And Susa, he had strict rules about his service when they showed up. You didn't show up with a frown on your face. You died for that. You don't show up with no stank breath. You died for that. <laughs> like on the real, you can look this joint up. If you had, if you had bad breath, you're like, kill him. Um, anything that would disrupt his, his being in joy or being happy, he'd kill you for it. Okay? So think about this. Nehemiah just got done crying and mourning. His face is, is low because he's thinking about this task, and he needs to ask the king something. So some form of assistance in any normal situation, Nehemiah would have died. The boldness of this man is stand in the court of the king. As his cupbearer now, that means he's right beside him. And he's checking the, the wine to make sure it's not poison. And he passes it to the king. Right? Now, you got this guy who is like one of the faces of the king. Angry or he's just looking displeased. And the king actually was like, what's wrong with you? That right there by itself is the grace of God. <laughs> he's like, what's wrong with you? And Nehemiah explained to him what he desired to have done. And the, the king actually allowed him money, gave him the money, gave him the resources to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild. The experience made Nehemiah trust, uh, trust God enough even at the risk of death. This process begins to sanctify Nehemiah. This is the third part. This is something that goes beyond Nehemiah. He didn't have the power of the king. He didn't. But he was able to stand in front of the king and ask for a favor when he shouldn't be able to at the risk of death, sanctifying him. It's a process, and it's progress, and trusting God even the more. And after the work was, was, was explained to the people, the people were encouraged and wanted to willingly do the work, which is the last one, the last part. Nehemiah spoke to the people, and he explained to them, this is what the Lord has done. This is what the king has done. And the people responded in joy. And that is a progressive sign of good work. Also, it is not our responsibility to aimlessly do all things to get attention and to gain fame and recognition. This leads to burnout, like I said earlier. You don't want that. God alone is the one who has prepared, who's prepared the good work for us. As we read in Nehemiah 2, 18 to 19, I told them how the gracious hand of my God had been on me. And what, and what the king had said to me, they said, let's start rebuilding. I just found it interesting that 
I was not looking at Nehemiah, and it ended up getting me right back to our theme near the end of our year. I, I, I was perplexed by that. I said, Lord, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> um, do we need to rehear this word again? Because these are not new things to, to the, to the buyer saints, but I do think they need to be reiterated. Nehemiah's observation of the importance of finishing the work brought the people honor and filled them with praise, and most importantly, glorified God in its totality. The build only took 52 days. That, that by, I'm, I'm still chewing on that, that it actually just took 52 days. And those that, had, that would have had doubt that God was real, as we saw with Sam Ballot and Tobiah, who were the ones opposing them in um, the book of Nehemiah, they had to be confronted by the truth of who God is. Because they were standing against him at every turn. And they still accomplished it in such a small window of time, in 52 days. This work is not outside of our grasp. The abilities that you have accumulated are not for vain glory. But for God's glory, those who are willing to give themselves, give of themselves, not, no matter the size, will reap the benefit of trusting God with what they have and what they have given. 2 Corinthians 8.12, for if the eagerness is there, it is acceptable according to that. I'm sorry, sorry, I'm reading this again. For if the eagerness is there, it is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. God is not judging you for how big or small the size of the work. He is judging you by your intentions on doing the work. God always blesses the willing. You may have a business in your heart. That seems too big to accomplish. But your heart is inclined to glorify God in the business. Trust God and pray towards good pray, pray towards the, the good path that the path opens for good works to be made clear to you. You may have a program that draws children and that blesses them with resources and education and shows them and gives them the love of Jesus in the, in the midst of the saints. It's a good work. And God is willing to work with you if you're willing. You may have an idea that reshapes technology and opens doors for the unreached to hear the gospel and encourage those who need encouragement. Trust God for the way towards good work. You may want to be a star athlete, musician, actor, actress, and want to glorify God in your activity. Do you think stardom removes the possibility of good work happening? Trust God for your good work. You may just want to have a family and raise them up in righteousness. Well, praise the Lord. That is a good work. Whatever the person or the ability, God has ordained you to do good work because he has already begun it in those he has called. We saw how Nehemiah was guided on a path towards good work. 
God can do this for us as well. And here's a, a caveat, one last thing. Nehemiah did not hear a word from God himself. Absorb this. There was not an audible cry from heaven for Nehemiah. Not one. God did not say, Nehemiah, I need you to do this. That did not happen in the book of Nehemiah. We have other examples. Look at the book of Ruth. There was no audible call from the Lord to give her direction in where she was supposed to go. But the God that shakes you to your core to tell you to go and do this work, Esther was pricked at her heart, seeing her people suffer, and she started doing the work, and God blessed her work. The good work begins the moment you are saved, and it takes faith to fully pursue it. You do not need the audible call to qualify it as good work. It's a very great discrepancy, and we have a lot of people in the church that want to be prophets and prophetesses because they wish that things that they say would be considered good works. So they make up the fresh words of the Lord. They make them up in order to seem valid in a time where positions and ordinations make them seem special. And this is a great burden for us right now. But we must, be, we must be guided by correct teaching. The Lord has given us his word. The instruction is already in his word. With this instruction, if God didn't even speak to you, you have enough. Do not use God not speaking to you audibly as an excuse for you not doing good work or for you waiting on the Lord. Don't do that. Don't get caught in that trap. I gave an example. When I was 18, and I got, I got saved like the tail beginning of 2003, I came into the sanctuary a couple of Bible studies, and I saw that there were children that needed tutoring. One of them is grown now that I used to tutor. He's sitting on my right and y'all left. Uh, <laughs> but what's up, brother? They needed help in math. Now, I could have been like, Lord, give me, um, I need you to tell me what I'm supposed to do so I can, you know, be in the right. Lord pricked my heart, and I went. I just, I didn't even ask Bishop. I just would go in the back. They would sit. I would sit down, and I would sit with them. And I'm not saying this to boast, but I remember some were failing math. They excel in math. One's a lawyer. That's, that's, I'm still chewing on that. I'm, I'm playing. I'm blessing the Lord for that. You know, <laughs> one's a lawyer. If I had said, Lord, I don't want to do none of that. I don't want to tutor these kids. I don't want to sit down with them. What would have happened? Good work. If you see the need, even if it's a sacrifice, I'm off my, my, my sermon now. This Lord, if 
even if it's a sacrifice, do it. Do it. Do it. Don't allow politics and tradition to warp good work. The Lord is greater than tradition. Yeah, he took me all the way off. <laughs> but, but I need you to understand that, though. There's so many gifts and talents in this room. So many beautiful and wonderful abilities in this room. Don't allow fear to stop you from doing the good works. If there isn't a ministry named after the gift that you have, do the work. Do the work. We don't need a drama ministry to do plays. We just need some Holy Ghost filled wisdom, people in wisdom that can write a play and we need some folk to plug in and act out the play. <laughs> we don't need form or fashion to do that. If the Lord is putting your heart and it's something that will glorify the Father and it's something that will encourage the people, it sanctifies you in the process. Get to work. As a final example, I looked at Cain and Abel, and this is the one that rocked me. Cain and Abel in Genesis 2, uh, Genesis 4, 2 through 5, but um, specifically verse 4 and 5, where um, we see that Cain presented some, and Abel presented the first fruit. I was like, Lord, why did this displease you? Um, like, like that, what Cain did. I mean, give me a little bit more context than that. You know, because like sometimes I think some we, we get it mixed up. Some people, I've I've heard this said before, and this is this is not true. The um, it's not because Cain brought grain that his offering was thrown away. Um, it's not because Abel brought meat that his offer was accepted. The Hebrew word is minchka, and what it means is a friendship offering. It's a thanks offering, a tribute. No fire touched it, not one bit. It was something you offered to a friend as a form of thanks. So now look back at Cain and his actions. He gave some to a friend, not his best to his friend. This is God we're talking about here. Cain knew the ordinances. Looking at this, I had to consider, was Cain slacking on his job with the crop? Was he not reaping the full harvest? So he gave God some. Some of what he had. But he didn't give God the best that he had. Now we look at Abel. Abel, in turn, went to the first, the best of his flock, and he gave God the best. 
What this action showed us is that in friendship and even in tribute, Abel considered God first. So he gave God what was best, what God deserved. So Abel is in our hall of faith in Hebrews 11 because of the faithful actions of his offering. While Cain is put in shame because his actions allow sin to crouch at the door for him. Something to consider. Something to consider for us. How would you receive a friend that gave, um, that gave to you also, but gave you, gave you a gift, but also gave you a bill? Yo, here's the gift, you know what I'm saying? It was $100, but I'm going to need that back. Would that be considered a good gift? Would that give honor you? Would you feel like you're being honored? You know? Or they might do even dirtier. They'll just, you know, give you the gift and then send you a check in the mail. I mean, send you an or, or invoice. Hey, I'll just let you know I need that $100 back, though. That's what Cain was doing. <laughs> Cain was like, I'm going to give you something, you know. You know, I might need something for myself later, you know. I'm just going to give you a little bit. And Cain and Abel was like, no, I'm going to give you everything that I got. In the same manner, consider the work that you do. Is it edifying or is it tearing others down? I've met famous musicians, game developers, celebrities. My job puts me in weird places. <laughs> but most of them do not use their abilities to glorify God. So even though the work, they are, the work may seem good to our eyes as the people, as just regular people, that work is not accepted by God. Make sure your heart is inclined to doing good work, and the Lord will see you through. Do the good work. Be willing to do the good work. Your willingness will bless you beyond measure. Think about Mary. Hear my Lord, be it unto me according to your will. And we got Jesus because of her willingness. You have to understand the willingness that we see in the people to do these good works. The Lord will bless the people around you. He will bless you too. He will sustain you during the famine. Don't be afraid. Please don't be afraid. Don't wait for God to talk to you for you to get to work. He saved you already. He's spoken enough. Get to work. Be encouraged because he saved you that you are capable of doing good work. You are not a useless toy to God. You're not. You are not a useless figurine that he puts on the shelf and says, that person I saved, he called you with a divine purpose. Trust the Lord 
walk out the soul salvation with fear and trembling.